Welcome to another episode of the VD Clinic Podcast. This is our spooky October. Spooky. October episode, hopefully. First, welcome Vanessa, my wonderful co-host. Hello, wonderful co-host Darren. And even more wonderfully, we have snagged some very special guests for this Yay. very special episode. We have Andrew and Maddie of the Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. Yay! Yay! Hi there. We're so happy to be here. Good to be with you. So happy you've joined us. No, we uh, have been looking forward to this for a while. Big so thank time. you so much. Yeah, we we love you guys just dearly. We had a great time, I think. Well, well, we all were together on Darren's show for Pride Month. And I always love your show. And I know Darren does as well. I won't speak for him, but he has said that to me. So we had a great time on Psychosomatic. That, that, was, that was a lot of fun back in June. It was wonderful was a blast and from that i think we actually we might have cut that part out but i think we started planning this episode then yes. yeah i think so <laughs> and uh, it's been in the works for many many years <laughs> and we this do episode, not, for 90 <laughs> years might stand for more <laughs> and we do not want to walk alone in <laughs> discussing Shirley Jackson's 1959 The Haunting of Hill House and the 1963, I forgot. Robert Wise. Robert Wise, Indiana native their guy the haunting yeah that's i i'm really surprised that they they like jumped on this like as soon as she published it they're like making a movie doing it <laughs> yep yep yeah, i mean how, but how can you not how can you not i'm sorry it's so good spoiler that's how this episode is gonna go but yeah <laughs> I've it's been, gonna be a love fest just deal with it <laughs> i've been talking this up for a, a few episodes before this because he's i'm this is one of my favorites i can't i can't hide it yeah. Well, now, Vanessa, I know that this is like a multiple read for you, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was saying right before the episode, too, when we were just chatting, I was like, thank you so much for finally making me like just sit down and read this book because I had not read it before. And I'm like ashamed of myself for not having read it before. <laughs> Yeah, this is the kind of combination where a lot of people, you know, have seen the movie or may have seen the movie or part of the mm -hmm. movie but not necessarily read the book, but they may have read something else by the same author. And yeah. and it's kind of one of those that if you enjoyed that that author's other work, you'd enjoy this. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we'll get, we'll get more into that in a few months. But how are you guys doing? I mean, would you like to say anything about your show? I mean, we, we've been great. I mean, we just released um, episode nine. Uh, so we're almost to 10, which we're pretty excited about. That that, that doesn't really uh, account to our content, however, because we've released so many other things that are just uh, accompany our podcast. But um, we're getting ready for our Halloween episode. Uh, we will be doing Bloodfest and Hellfest. And then just for fun, we're going to throw a Hocus Pocus in there. Um, we're really excited. We never thought we'd get to 10 uh, just because it's a lot of commitment, as you know, as an indie podcaster, it's 
this is all free and it's only in our free time. So we're pretty excited to get to this point. And um, the little fan base that we have amassed, I'm so proud of. And I'm so, uh, I, I never thought we'd have it. So. Yeah, and, and, you know, we're so proud because the, the people that we're reaching is, is a group that I think has been really hungry for a podcast like ours for a long time. And we're, we just seem to be tapping into this, this part of the horror community that is also LGBT that is just really looking for something like this. And we're, we're, we're proud to bring it to everybody, of course, but just especially proud to to bring it to that specific group. And and people have been reaching out to us and letting us know how much it means to them just to hear our voices. And that's been really great. It's been it has been ridiculously meaningful to hear that. And it's something that I didn't really expect when we started going into this. So I'm just I'm I'm over the moon about it. I really am. And something I wanted to actually thank you guys um, for was and I know it may seem like a small thing, but a little bringing me into the group of uh, LGBT. TQ podcasters, whatever, um, that group on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, it's just as a networking tool, I mean, it's handy. And I know I don't utilize it enough because work has been a little too bananas lately, but uh-huh. it's, it's nice to have ideas to bounce off of each other in general. And I've had it with other podcasters, but it definitely to have the queer bent. And even though we're not necessarily a queer podcast, I mean, just me being a lesbian is <laughs> inevitable. And, and Darren's uh, an amazing ally. So, oh my God, and of course. God damn, they're coming to get me <laughs> one of these days. You started talking <laughs> about the gays. I started talking about the gays. <laughs> No, it's been, you know, no, I, kind I of really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, That's no, I, I created that group kind of on a whim and it, it kind of just took off and everyone's really supportive in there and really like lifts everybody up. And yeah. it's, it's nice. I mean, it's nice yeah. to have that little community. Yeah, yes, definitely. I've so. been tempted. I told Vanessa this when we were recording the other days, I, I get notifications, even though she runs our Twitter and I run our Instagram, I keep almost peeking in there, but... <laughs> I You're feel allowed. like it's it's, it's walking into the wrong locker room, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, oh, I see the very beginning of everybody's sentences. I'm like, this sounds like a really cool conversation. You're allowed, Darren. We'll let you in. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I have I have actually mentioned you, but Darren, I I said I've talked to you up and said what a wonderful ally you are. So to the community. Well, thank you. And there are times where you bring things up in conversation before I do it. So, <laughs> well, you know, and. I, I've said this before, but now that we're talking openly about everything, please tell me when I can do things better. <laughs> I'm just going on instinct. I think we all are. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, unless your instinct is to be hateful, that <laughs> your instinct's fine. <laughs> then you belong somewhere else. Then get the hell out of right. here. Right. <laughs> then out. obviously you're not going to be listening to us anymore. Yeah. You probably would have left a few episodes ago <laughs> yeah and if you saw a uh, podcast called fry gay the 13th i don't think you're gonna listen <laughs> right <laughs> although we were kind of laughing on our handmaid's tale episode about someone hate listening to our episode and i'm like please hate listen to us <laughs> we're still getting people listening <laughs> right yeah we've gotten a couple like random one star reviews that were like wait Wait, I, I know that we're not perfect, but we're not like one star. Yeah. No, God. <laughs> we're at least two. Um, yeah. <laughs> Give us credit there. We at least do the research. How dare you point out the parallels between art and real life? <laughs>
<laughs> anyway uh, anyway speaking of one star reviews i would probably give a one star review if hill house was a uh bed and breakfast <laughs> i don't oh, know but they, they are pretty consistent with uh with the time that dinner gets laid out yeah service is very reliable that is china true. china and the china and the silver oh my goodness i i actually <laughs> this just sounds so insane but I've seen this movie so many times and when I watched it this time and I know and I was pulling together the dialogue because I was trying to find a scene for us to do and the scene with the where they're talking about the China and being in a museum and I started really analyzing everything that was in that scene from what I have seen in a museum (laughs) (laughs) of China and like the furniture the sideboard and the silver I'm like yeah, that's actually pretty insane how elaborate that house was supposed to be. But <laughs> yeah. it really struck me this time on a whole other level for some reason. <laughs> and that was the thing but. that uh, was never recovered, right? Or in the, the, the stolen China? Or was that what are you talking you about? You guys stop doing that to China. <laughs> China. China. Um, China. I thought the female companion was, in the book at least, accused of stealing some things from the house. (laughs) Sorry, you just kind of came out of nowhere. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I was was more confused by the the Trump reference. (laughs) That's exactly where I was thinking. I'm like, you had just been doing that a minute ago. I thought you were trying to go down that route with a joke, and I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just trying to stay relevant. Oh, you know what? I think this is a perfect segue, a perfect time for us to take a brief break, and then we will come back and we will have our discussion of the book, and we will get to the mystery of China. The missing China. <laughs> That's perfect. Be, be right back. <laughs> Nicely done. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, Guys. Oh, oh, hey, Producer, Producer Michael. Producer Michael, hi. Oh, well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. And we're back with 1959 novel, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love a good ghost story. I in a good haunted house book or oh, I love this so much. I love this so much. And I already said that ahead of time. But uh, here's the little synopsis. Hill House is an 80-year-old mansion in a location that is never spilled out but is between many hills, built by a long-deceased Ukraine. The story concerns four main characters, Dr. John Montague, an investigator of the supernatural and professor of anthropology, Eleanor Vance, a shy young woman who resents having lived as a recluse caring for her demanding invalid mother, Theodora, a flamboyant bohemian, possibly lesbian artist, Possibly. Mm, I have thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) 
And Luke Sanderson, the young heir to Hill House, who is host to the others. Dr. Montague hopes to find scientific evidence of the supernatural. So he rents Hill House for summer and invites his summer invites as his guests several people he has chosen because of their past experience with paranormal events. Of these, only Theodora and Eleanor accept. Eleanor travels to the house where she and Theodora will live in isolation with Montague and Luke. All four of the inhabitants begin to experience strange events while in the house, including unseen noises and ghosts roaming the halls of night, strange writing on the walls, and other unexplained events. Dun dun dun! <laughs> Ooh. Spooky. Yes. <laughs> so I have said this before that I have read this book multiple times. This is probably time number five for me. Wow. Maybe maybe six. Uh, maybe six. So I'm going to go around to everybody. I know not everybody. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of you have read it before. Darren, have you read this before? And if so, how many times have you read it before? I had not. I had read a excerpt in one of my uh, fiction classes. I had a gothic fiction class. Okay. And so I had read part of it before. I've I've read plenty of Shirley Jackson, but no, this was this was my first read. Okay. So I would say I've read it one one nineteenth of a time before, or <laughs> something like that. Okay, Andrew, what about you? Yeah, this was actually a first time read for me, which is kind of surprising because I, I soaked up this kind of fiction when I was in my teenagerhood. So I'm surprised that I never got to this one, but I'm very appreciative that I finally did because mm -hmm. it, it's it's quite the book. Have you read any Shirley Jackson before? Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine the lottery. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the assigned reading in, you know, mm -hmm. your kind of like junior high school reading English class, but um. Definitely the lottery. Um, I've probably read more. I probably just didn't even know it at the time, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. What about you, Maddie? This was also my first read. I, I, I know that I've read the lottery from Shirley Jackson before. Um, I really liked the book quite a bit. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you on, on rereading books. You know, I, I reread one of my favorites, Beloved, which is another ghost story. I, re yeah. I try to reread Beloved nearly every year if I can in, in the fall, you know, around spooky time, of course. Um, right. <laughs> Reading, reading this book, I, I really am interested in reading um, another of Shirley Jackson's called We Have Always Lived in the Castle. So That's a good one. I haven't, of, of course, one. I've never read it, and I'm looking forward to, to picking up more of, of what she's got to offer. It, and I have to say, I'm glad you brought that up because I've read that maybe twice before, but it's been so long ago. And that and, and Haunting of Hill House and We've Always Lived in, in the Castle are the only novels of hers I've ever read, but mm -hmm. I've read tons of her short stories. I love her short story work. So I want to start, I want to go back, reread now We've Always Lived in a Castle because I already have it on my bookshelf, but then I want to go through and read her uh, four other novels as well, just to be a completionist, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, sure. I really I've, like I've her writing. Like I've been on a crusade like that with Stephen King for a long time, and I still haven't gotten there. So, <laughs> oh, I, th I thought you had read them all. No, oh my God, there's so many. Yeah. Well, it, that's easier to do for Shirley Jackson because she she died when she was 48. She didn't have a huge output mm -hmm. because of that. But you the know, output's imagine. good. It's good. I, I know the quality is just all. The, I mean, her short stories. That's why she is so known 
for her short stories, you have at least one of her short stories, if not more, that always ends up in required short story, you know, English, your English course classes. Mm-hmm. There's always at least one of her short stories in there. Yeah, for so. sure. I'm trying to think. Where do we want to? Where do we want to go with this? Um, well, I will tell you that um, reading. So, like, just because I commute on the train every day, mm-hmm. my regular mm-hmm. reading device is a Kindle. Like, just because okay. it's easier to handle. When we decided to do this episode, I was like, "Oh, well, I'll just buy the paperback that way I can read it, and then pass it to Maddie, and he can read it." Mm-hmm. And it was it it was so refreshing to go back to paper. Yeah. Like especially with a book like this where you're in the kind of like fall season everything's Mm -hmm. changing it's all like all around you like it was really nice like to get back to like just reading an actual like book well and the the other thing about that too you know especially like being a person that like commutes you know around other people you know every day right so when you're reading a book like this and people on the train or on the bus look at look at the book that you're reading because you know the the cover of this one and we have we have the the penguin classics paperback version you know, it's a it's a it's a compelling. Right, I cover. have that one too. Yeah, so you know, you see this this house and this the the, the October sort of orange sky with trees all over. It it it, mm-hmm. it draws you in just like the house draws you in in the, in the novel. Um, and I I think people it's it's been fun to watch people you know during spooky time look at the book mm-hmm. and go Ooh, that looks kind of fun to read you know. Yeah, and I I have that same cover, but I'm disappointed it's not the original one. The, not the original version I had. This is one that I had to uh, buy, I guess, maybe two, three years ago. Because my original version, I loved it. And it's, I guess, the same com- same printing edition around the same time was done with my copy of We've Always Lived in a Castle. Oh, and it's cool. this kind of illustration style that is really... It has elements of, like... Peter Max, you know, who illustrated Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah I get that. that. Absolutely. Like, it has some of that kind of combined with, like, an R. Crumb kind of uh, comic book style. But it's really in these off-putting colors. And it is so eerie. And when you looked at it, it was just... And it was of, a, it was of the house. But it was just... You knew that it was something creepy. Yeah. And even the some, one that's we've always lived in a castle. <laughs> yeah, even the one that's we've always lived in a castle. It's uh, the two like two female characters standing behind basically the bars of a, like a gate of a, a big mansion like this. You know, with a big lock. It's still that same off-putting kind of you know to the entire vibe of it. It makes so, you wonder, like, what did did Shirley Jackson like live in a house like this at some point? Was she influenced? Because obviously, it's 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 a staple in her in her fiction, you know. Right, right. Yeah, she. I mean, she was she was more from. I mean, she was from San Francisco originally, but had gone to Syracuse University, and then oh. had been like die ended up dying in Vermont so she kind of was all over but she mm-hmm. did live in New England at least at one point yeah and you got some of those I lived in Providence for a year and uh we would go down I forget the coastal city that's down there but it's an old it's like the Hamptons before there was the Hamptons and there's just like mansions upon mansions down there right right you can and you can even see if she grew up in San Francisco or around there there are some of those houses that have that weird kind of like a Victorian mm-hmm. look and well, some I mean, of those... take, 
<clears throat> take Crazy. the painted ladies for for instance you know those yeah. houses alone i mean i know we think of them for full house now but like before yeah. that they were very like gothic victorian like yeah definitely and i i think it is important that we talk about the house just yeah. the basic architecture of the house because the way it's portrayed in the book itself is important and then that carries through absolutely to even just something as simple as the book cover. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, to the films, both films and the TV series. The mm -hmm. house is an entity a, of its, a character of its own. And sure. it's just every, I'm not someone who can live in a big space. I'm not that person. And so I read things like this and I'm just like, this is creepy to begin with. It's in a big place. No. <laughs> like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of like the Winchester mansion. Oh yeah. Like yes. George would have Absolutely. doors that would lead to nowhere. Well, it, was it was inspired by that. Actually. Oh, I read, I read an article where uh, Shirley Jackson had said she, it, it did inspire her somewhat. Oh, very interesting. Which makes sense that. because that's kind of a, central to northern california closer sure like san jose i think not that far from san francisco i think not that far i'm like i, I mean it's closer than chicago i'm like i don't know well, yeah but i'm saying as far as uh the state of california Wait. goes it's not that far not that far at all yeah and the so you yeah you would see some of the same it, she would probably i mean it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if she'd gone there multiple times yeah. well, during I mean, her life I, uh, yeah. And, you know, Vanessa, I think bringing up, you know, the, the the point about the size of the house is really important, right? Because this is a novel from 1959. And, you know, this is a time when people are starting to leave houses in the suburbs. They're starting to go to urban areas and live in much smaller spaces, apartments and condominiums, that sort of thing. And when you live uh, in an urban space, in a smaller space, it's a lot easier to contain your life. It's easier to see all the things that you own. It's easier to, to sort of deal with your life in a small space, in a controlled space. When you go to a large space where you have to live, just like Eleanor does, what does that mean for your life when suddenly there's a, 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 a great expanse? And I, I think that the house is, is really a metaphor for life in a lot of ways in this novel. And I think that Eleanor, you know, exploring the house is something that uh, we should really pay attention to as readers, um, because, you know, suddenly you really have to do some digging because your life, it just becomes a lot bigger. It's much more uncontrollable. And I think that's what we find in the book. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's, that's an absolutely good point, because it's true, we see that Eleanor, she's the city dweller, and again, Boston, last episode when we did Handmaid's Tale, we were talking about <laughs> Boston in that area again, too, interestingly enough, but it's, she's the city dweller, and here's this house that's in a much more remote area, so there's that, but then the size of the space of Hill House versus whatever apartment that she's been sharing, not just even yeah. of her own. I mean, Theodora, at least, she has an apartment in the city. However, it's just her and her quote-unquote friend. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> we're going to get to that. <laughs> and then Luke, I mean, he's got a house somewhere, you assume, because of his family, but he seems pretty nomadic. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of going from hotel to hotel because he's traveling or he was in college. So he was maybe in a dorm. And then even the professor, he's 
living whatever campus housing that's not going to be big i mean <laughs> right <laughs> or a small house just off campus it's it's going to be still very close to a met the metropolitan area exactly. it's not going to be in the middle of nowhere either so there is this isolation too and when you have the caretakers the dudleys oh god who are <laughs> my god so frustrating they are amazing in their <laughs> insanity <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're so frustrating with their rigorous schedules. And even they live in the closest town. And mm -hmm. it, that is six miles away. So that closest town is still remote from this city where they may, we see the main characters. I mean, they come from the main from the city. Mm -hmm. But then even these two smaller characters, they're in that space that is still not the big city, but it's not as remote as Hill House. Yeah, I, I do love that moment where um, she stops in the town and has that mm -hmm. little diner moment yes. um, where it's kind of like the regular is just there kind of yeah. like snickering, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, there's an inside joke that she doesn't know. And God right. forbid she brings up Hill House because the whole town is terrified of it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's 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 interesting just talking about the journey going out to Hill House and to mm -hmm. get to Hill House. I mean, you so, go a good like 30 pages where she's just describing how to get to the house. Like it's it's a journey. And this is not a long book. No, not at all. This is not a long book. It's like 250 pages or so. Not even the, my the, copies... the, the, the Penguin Classics is 182. 182. And that's with an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's no, no, no. That's it. That's plus an introduction. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's an introduction just about Shirley Jackson and getting this book published and everything that that's additional, but it's 182, just the novel, which I did not read because I was afraid it was going to spoil the book. <laughs> it's actually it's, it's it's very interesting, but that was probably smart of you. I try not to pay attention to page numbers because then I get expectant on where the plot's supposed to be changing and moving. Totally, yeah. Unless right. I'm reading a Stephen King, like, it, then I really can't not focus on that I'm on the 7,000th page. <laughs> I will get and there. there are only 500 more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ha so you have these... Yeah, the the difference of the, these characters that come in from the city to this area that's beyond the rule it's just to the downright remote so that it is otherworldly mm -hmm. and here they're there to experience something out of the ordinary and it's so potentially strange. experience it's so something strange out of like the how he uh he he brings people there but under like i don't want to say false pretenses but with no pretenses whatsoever well and I think he has to do that to some extent. If he's he doesn't want to taint the experiment, however, mm -hmm. yeah, I think you have to give people a little bit of Not a little bit I've of warning here. Well, I mean, a sure, little bit like, of warning. Yeah, you know, like but we, one thing that I do if, on a fairly regular basis, just to make some extra cash, is I, I do focus groups, right? Right. And focus groups, they don't tell you exactly what you're going to talk about, but they at least give you like Precisely. the, like, I know I'm going in talking about like electronics today, or I'm talking about, you yes. know, beverages, whatever. They don't even know that going into this. They just know they're going to some house out in the country called Hill mm -hmm. House. And that's it. Right. Well, and then when you see the later, with the adaptations of this, 
the film and TV you know, film adaptations, like the 1991 uh, or 1990 version, it's under the pretense that they're going out to Hill House for a sleep study. Yeah. So it's oh, like, well, okay, okay, something like that. Okay, totally makes sense. Yeah. You know, and to at least get these people out there. So, you know, uh, it's... Can you imagine, like, just getting a letter one day and being like, oh, congratulations, you've been selected for this study that we're not going to tell you anything about, but you have to travel an hour and a half to get there. And congratulations, you, you get to go on vacation. Yeah, yeah, you know you what? throw at, it at in the, the trash. My life, yeah, the state, of my, the state I'm at in my life right now, I would be like, I'm going right now. Bye, everybody. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> See, with me, I would think it would be like a timeshare thing. And I'd be like, oh, yes. so I have to sit through that like hour and a half thing where they try That's to sell exactly you on it? That's exactly what I would think. That's exactly what I would think. Come to like, I don't have time and money for this. Yeah, exactly. How about a Disney timeshare? Sound good to you? <laughs> that or who's luring me out to rape and murder me? <laughs> one of the one of the things that I love about all these people coming to this house, though, is that like, on like a very like metaphysical like top level, right? Is that like everyone is coming there? I mean, I know that they don't know why they're going, except for Doctor Montague, but. Well, Luke knows. Luke knows. Luke knows. That's true. Once they're there, though, they're all... He doesn't know the full truth. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're you're, you're totally fine. Um, Once they're all there, they're just a group of humans that are literally coming together to try to figure out something that makes no sense. You know what I mean? Right. And and like, I think that's like an amazing journey that is so, that is like so simple and really just about like the process of life in general, which again is why I just can't get over this metaphor of like the house just being like basically life and you are, you're Mm -hmm. just trying to figure it the fuck out and nothing makes sense. And like the Dudleys are awful, but they're also kind of like your parents in in a weird way, you know? Right. It's, I don't know. It's just, and there's something endearing about them. Yeah, totally. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. set out dinner at six every night. Oh my god! I I especially and I I know we're gonna get to the movie, but especially in the movie, I was just like, "Will you just shut up, please?" I know. <laughs> just um, the whole thing where yeah, we're, I know we'll get to it, but it, I'm going right. I gotta say this: when Mrs. Dudley, she's already told Eleanor the whole spiel about I leave at dark. In the night, in the dark, you know, I can't hear you in six miles in town and all no that. So then by the time, you. then by the time Theo gets there and she's giving the whole, sh- the whole spiel, Eleanor just starts going, like saying it back to Theo and Mrs. Dudley's looking at her like, in a way like, you're not mocking me, but that's right. It's true. And, and, and meanwhile, Eleanor's kind of making fun of her and that this, yeah. this is just comical. This is kind of ridiculous. This woman is, you know. This yeah, I think it goes stringent. No one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that in the night, in the dark. <laughs> and she just repeats it over and over, again. over and over so again. Ridiculous. She's she's got a she's got the tape there, and she just has, hits play whenever someone new comes in. <laughs> so Vanessa, this is this is like one of your favorite books, right? It's up there. Yes. So which of the there. characters, like, who's it? Who's your favorite in this? Um, No surprise, it's Theo. And I have, so when I first, I how I stumbled upon this is I actually, I had read Shirley Jackson in school, the lottery first. I read that in middle school and then some more of her short story stuff. But in one of my high school theater classes, we actually did this play. 
Oh, awesome. Which was which was came out in 64. So it was done after the film, the year after the film came out. And it's very close to the film. Like it's it's much more that uh close to the screenplay mm-hmm. as far as like the dialogue. But some of the dialogue is already right from the book anyway. And, and then actually I was cast as Eleanor, interestingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I and um and I guess at that time in school, so so then I read the book. I mean, so I re- after I did the play, I was like, oh my God, wow, it's based on a book. And then I was like, oh, there's this movie. <laughs> and then I got into the movie after mm-hmm. that. But I, I guess at that time, I was very, I was very in the closet at that time <laughs> and, and to myself as well. And even though I guess a lot, of, and I was very shy, so in public I did present much more as Eleanor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think we can all kind of attest to that, you know, a certain time in our life where we had totally. where we had to be the Eleanor. Well, and I was also I grew up in Alabama and was very I already was the outsider for my political views, which mm-hmm. I was not. I was already getting outspoken about, but not as, I mean, not quite as outspoken. It would change, like, it was just really starting to change around that time. Mm-hmm. And I was probably around maybe 14 when I uh, did the play and then read this. And so I, I don't know. I, so I guess in a way it was, even though I, a lot of people associated me more, I guess, with the Eleanor character, I associated myself more with the Theodora one. Well, isn't and that kind of like the person you wanted to be? You know what I maybe, mean? Maybe. That's what it was. But it's just like I knew there was something about her that was much more of a kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, totally. And then it's also, and then it's also like, then, you know, you start reading and, you know, you're kind of and then rereading it after I came out in college. I'm like, oh, then when you see that they play the pronoun game and she has the apartment in the city with her quote unquote friend and they quarreled and everything. I'm like, eh, that's not your roommate. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a lover. It's like, that's like that's when uh, my my first boyfriend, my mom would always refer to him as like, oh, is that, you know, your friend that you have? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. We've all been there. Um. <laughs> and this is Maddie's friend. Yeah. His best right. friend. Special right. friend. Exactly. His special friend or just right. And um, so it was like, then it, it then when I reread it, like the second time, I was like, oh, it totally clicked for me why I associated so much more with her. But in the book, really, even the first time reading it, you're told so much more about Eleanor mm-hmm. and so much more about what's going on in her head. I wanted to know more what was going on in Theo's head because here she has this ESP and she has this connection too and knows how to read these situations and she's trying to be helpful and also take care of Eleanor and she's trying to help I think Eleanor as a friend mm-hmm. kind of break out of her shell and we don't we still there's still a certain amount of her that is just a mystery yeah I mean there's I, I could read three or four different books just around the different experiences of each character you know and, like and that's and that's true that's true they're all interesting characters because yes we don't hear much about Luke either mm-hmm. and the doctor we don't hear tons about him either but they are still very interesting. You still you want, want to know, know more. more about them. Oh God, except for his awful wife. <laughs> oh my God, except for the wife. And oh, her planchette. Aptly, <laughs> aptly named Grace. 
Crazy. <laughs> I want another book about the Dudleys. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean. <laughs> In their backstory. Yeah. Like, how did they get that gig at Hill House? <laughs> lifelong. Lifelong job right there. Job security. <laughs> Yeah, what what shit have they seen in their day? I want that book or books, plural. They they drew the black stone or whatever the fuck it is in the lottery. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, it also does kind of feel like they are the um the story keepers, like they are yes. kind of the the the, the thing keepers. that is always there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But well, the, the and, you know the thing that's always there, but you know also like yeah, they are they are annoying, they are weird, they are you know whatever, but like they're also like when you get to the gate, Mister Dudley is like he is honestly warning you, like don't come uh -huh. in here, you're gonna be sorry that I ever opened this gate for you. Mm -hmm. Are you right. really expected to be here? Do you want to be here? And Do there's you understand what you're getting yourself into, right? And the, you know there is that fatalistic quality to what he's saying that is you know it's really prescient, and so like. You know, there are these these little devices that I think Shirley Jackson uses, like the Dudleys, you know, to, to really bring home the seriousness of what it is. Um, and I think she's really successful at doing that. And it becomes, you know, staple of, you know, horror storytelling. Like, I recently rewatched Cabin in the Woods, and I was thinking about that with Mr. Dudley's The Harbinger. You have to ignore mm -hmm. the Harbinger mm -hmm. and go forward. Like Crazy Ralph. Yeah. Doom. <laughs> it's got a death <laughs> curse. <laughs> See? Oh, crazy Ralph. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the archetype. Yeah, it's totally a it's something that just needs to be there to get the story going and right. that's the history. You know what I mean? That's the person mm -hmm. that knows the history. And it, it's very interesting this mm -hmm. book though. It it's really the the main story is like one woman's descent into madness essentially. Well, and and that's one thing that I do find very fascinating about this book and why I, I keep coming back to it is because Yes, we know there is something supernatural is going going on. Something that everybody is experiencing that mm -hmm. cannot be explained. However, there's this whole other level of you've got someone who is already in a psychologically vulnerable place. Yeah. And they were going to probably go <laughs> at some point down, the, you know, down the uh, cuckoo road. But literally, it, it, literally, I, it, I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have killed themselves or if they would have, it would have taken much longer. But this is, yeah, the, and the house seizes upon someone who is the most psychologically vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable is the exact word I was going for. It's it's it, it's searching for that soul that um, would let it in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's 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 brooding. Mm -hmm. and, you know, of course, I, right. I know we keep saying this, but we'll talk about it when we talk about the movie. But one of the scenes in the movie that I really love is when mm -hmm. um, the door—they're all looking at the door—and it's 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 like it's like breathing and expanding in, mm -hmm. and you can right. see it, you know, moving in toward them, and you can feel the whole house just doing that and you know the way that they even describe the house how it's like concentric rooms and some of them don't have windows and everything else this this house is is eleanor's worst nightmare and also like her best friend because it's exactly where she wants to be isolated but then it's also this place that is going that is going to destroy her because it will be the final darkness that her psyche needs to take its last step and you know the the last the last thoughts that she has um, I was talking about this before we um, before we started recording, but you know, as as she's um, as she's driving the car into the tree, or as the car is being driven into the tree, you know, that that's up for you to to, to decide. 
which she thinks, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why don't they stop me? And that is just fucking haunting as fuck. Absolutely haunting. It's chilling. I think it's the, I think it's probably the most chilling part of the book. Yeah. And with your uh, it, the house being the metaphor for life, you know, it's set up, it's slanted and it's discombobulating. And you think that one way is the way you're supposed to go to get to the right place. And you spent just yeah, yeah just making the whole place a maze. It's it's designed to kind of screw with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. And everything's hung at an angle, you know. All everything's askew. Yeah. Nothing Don't they say makes, that there are no there are no squares in this in right this, in this house? Nothing makes logical sense in this space. It's I I think that explains a lot because here you are supposed to be in a physical space that because of the supernatural element, if nothing else, is not supposed to make space. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that I, I makes wonder, sense. Rather, I wonder sorry. if um, no, 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 you're totally fine. I wonder if um, Shirley Jackson was trying to figure out a bit of her own life in writing this novel. I know that she was uh, she was addicted to to prescription drugs and she was addicted to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that she had a, a very unhappy marriage and her husband was a professor yeah. who had affairs with his students, which is interesting to think about Dr. Montague bringing these people together right. and uh, and not just bringing people together, but bringing, you know, two, two, two ladies together. Unmarried uh, women. Yeah, right. And, you know, I, I wonder if... You know, a bit of of a bit of Shirley Jackson was was going through Hill House herself and felt herself drawn into Hill House and felt herself, you know, really trying to go through these rooms and find her way through the halls and felt the house brooding in upon her. You know, I would think it had even subconsciously it would have to to bleed through. I was just reading this book that had a little section on Brian De Palma and you know how he's got a lot of voyeurism. Sure. Yeah. And infidelity and helplessness of a male character. And I was totally unaware that his dad was a doctor who had affairs with his nurses. And wow. one of the first things he ever caught on film was his dad cheating on his mom. <gasps> God. Oh, my God. So, you know, he caught his dad in, in like his office or something like that. Like en flagrante delecto? Like in yeah, the act? Like with, with a nurse. Holy and, God. And then you think about it. That explains a lot. <laughs> right? The helpless young man. <laughs> and yeah, all that stuff. So I, I, it's been on my mind a lot because I just finished the book uh, last week. Mm-hmm. I was sort of reading them both at the same time. And yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of, I think she's, yeah, I think I haven't read a whole lot of her longer works, like I said, but it seems like from what I know of her, there's got to be a lot more of her in this than, you know, she gets to get out in her short stories. Yeah, I will say the only um, part that, had me um confused i guess was the dynamic of the three and how they kind of flip-flop back and forth later in the book Mm. where they're like oh no we love you eleanor oh no we hate you eleanor or like you're crazy eleanor like it it gets a little confusing towards the end but then with the final wrap-up you kind of get a better understanding of like where her mental stability is at you yeah you can see definitely there's this whole sense of confusion back and forth and because of eleanor's mental state there's a point where we don't know what we ourselves like as the reader as the audience we don't know what if she's a reliable narrator anymore Mm -hmm. like what's what's really going on here like is Is she really 
like that one point where you know Theodora starts trying to make her angrier and to try to get herself her mind off of being afraid like trying to get her in a different headspace mm-hmm. you know something like that yeah the one part that uh, I was like wait what's going on here is where she um, all of her clothes get ruined and um, yes there's like the blood that spells out the message on the on the on the wall. Right. But then you go back later when his wife gets there and everything's mm-hmm. fine again. Fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, is this supposed to be like a play on the mental state or is this something that actually happened? Like, what is the house doing here? Like, is it is it messing with them or well, is the question question for you? Do you think like what do you what do you think happens? Like, do you think that this is really about mental illness or do you think that this is something actually supernatural? Like an actual haunting? Yeah. Um, Precisely. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough call. I mean, there's a lot in there that you could chalk up to being an actual haunting. And then there's a lot of stuff in there where you're like, well, maybe this is collective insanity. Interesting. And actually, I think that's a good point because so many times where people try to argue the existence of the supernatural, it's like, oh, no, they dismiss it as a mental health thing. Sure. And so, and, and and so that, and I mean, I myself am bipolar. So yes, I know mental illness exists sure. and things. However, I can also say <laughs> it was totally separate from my bipolar episodes. I have had supernatural experiences. Right. There are right. certain things that fall outside of, you know, and I knew I was in a state where I could make a distinction, a lucid distinction. But if I had been in a state where, for instance, if I were off my meds or were undiagnosed, sure. I could completely, and this they say for like schizophrenics and people who have some mental illnesses that have greater halluci- chance of hallucinations. Sure. Like that line gets blurred without a doubt. I mean, but my, my, I have a sister that is essentially schizoid mm-hmm. and, um, she is, uh, she's also a very deeply devoted, uh, kind of, I'll just say it like kooky Christian, the, the kind that mm-hmm. speak in tongues, the kind that pray constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for her, she really does live in a world where demons exist and she can see them and she can hear them and she has to pray them away. And so right. like, it, it's it's it is it is something that I that I try to do just as her brother, right? Just try to put mm-hmm. myself in that world and think about, boy, like what is that like to live in a world where that is all around me? What is what is what what could that possibly be like? And you know, I, I think that's sort of the case here too, in in a way. I mean, this is not you know a complete analogy, but mm-hmm. you know, what is it like to be Eleanor with all of these things happening around you? Is it believable? What will anyone believe you? Is it actually right. what the hell is going on? And how scary must that be? Yeah, absolutely. Darren, you've been awfully quiet. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying <laughs> listening. <say> to, <laughs> I'm enjoying listening to the conversation. No, I was I was just thinking about yeah the the different kinds of supernatural or preternatural experiences, and I was trying to think back on. I mean, I've I've definitely gone on on the ghost hunts, and in high school there was a train station where the Lincoln Ghost Train was supposed to go by in April. Oh, cool. So we uh, may or may not have every year taken acid and gone to the train station at night. <laughs> um, Allegedly. 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 <laughs> I love that we're all on the same wave. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> For science. Um, yeah. Um, 
proper research, of course. And and yeah, and they also say that you know, with she could be it. it I I'm sort of on the the not the fence. I'm sort of in the thinking camp of it's both. She is a little mm-hmm. mentally fragile, but usually those are the type of people that are supposed to be more perceptive to um. any other alternate planes of existence and shit like that. So I mean, there's definitely things in the book and in the movie that everybody experiences or people experience separately or it's got outside witness so it's not necessarily the collective insanity but there are things that could feed into them you know like after you watch a scary movie and you're you've got to go down into your basement or mm-hmm. you know something like that there's different <laughs> mental states that can feed into the wonderful thing that is our imagination well but well, I, yeah it's the house I, the house feeds on vulnerable like that's yeah. Well, that's why it's not going off Luke, for instance. He's Mm -hmm. the most skeptical of the bunch. And he's he's not fragile. (laughs) He's emotionally (laughs) fragile, like Uh like or psychologically fragile like Eleanor. He's not open to it in that way. He's just like property, hey. (laughs) You know, I I just want to have my cocktail and you know, whatever. Like that's why it doesn't go after Luke. But he Mm -hmm. still witnesses whatever himself. So I think you know, I think it's both, that you know something is going on, definitely. However, it focuses its energy on Eleanor because it knows it can. Yeah, it's amplified. Right. Yeah, our our lives can be haunted, right? And when you have a space like Hill House with the expanse that it has to go back to the size of it again, that haunting can grow large and can grow brooding. And I think that's what Shirley Jackson does geniusly in this book. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think unless somebody's got something else to say about the book, that's a wonderful wrap up. I it's exactly what I was thinking. Awesome. I hope we're I hope we're entertaining enough. That was fun. <laughs> no, I've I've been sitting here listening to you three talk and I my oh yeah, I'm I'm here. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm a co-host on this show. That felt that that, that felt really good though. Darren, uh Chop, chop, step up to the plate. It's not a sneak preview. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm kidding. I, I, I enjoy your voices a lot more than I enjoy mine, but I will try to be more interactive. No, you're fine. No, we, we like your voice too, though. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I guess... I actually, I actually am always like continually impressed by your... And both you and Vanessa's like sound quality, to be honest with you. Like, oh, yeah, me Listening too. to both VD and Psychosemantic, I'm just like... God, they they got this right off the bat. We had to work for this shit. <laughs> Even though we had a we've had some uh, tech issues here and there lately. Um, yeah, the gremlins are yeah. in the system. We all yeah. do. It happens. I mean, obviously, we're we're crackly today for some fucking reason. <laughs> well, no, you you're not you're not bad. You we've. We're pushing through it. <laughs> and you bring everything to the table. And like, I think I've said before. I'll try to work my voodoo magic when I'm editing. <laughs> Levelator makes everything better. Right. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I'm yeah. going to take a quick restroom break. So. Well, I was going to say, let's um, let's take a quick break and um, we will come back with our discussion of the movie. Be right back. Perfect. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Sean. And we are Movie Movie Geek Geek and and Proud, a movie podcast where two gay movie geeks review current and older movies of all genres, good and bad. We also pick titles and share our opinions on films that are either not well known or guilty pleasures. But we are proud of our taste and encourage all other movie geeks to do the same. 
And it's not just movie reviews on our show. We play games, trivia, movie drafts. We have guests come on and even the occasional skit. (laughs) You can listen to our show on your favorite podcast apps, including SoundCloud, Podbean, and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at MGNP Podcast. And remember, every movie has at least one fan. You're so cheesy. What? How's that cheesy? And every movie does not have at least one fan. Uh, I say it does, and you can't prove it doesn't. You can't prove it does. Yes, I can. That's why we're doing this show. It's like every time you want to start with me, I don't understand. No, you yes, can't. You so can. I'm, I'm no, telling you, they ridiculous. always have to do. You always do this. Movie Geek and Proud, a new episode every Wednesday. And now, another episode of Quarantine Theatre. Ah! What was it? Oh, I had a feeling. I'm, I'm sure it was just my imagination. A feeling you were being watched? Yes. Yes, I did. The house. It watches. It watches every move we make. That's your imagination. Don't be so cocksure of everything, Luke. A closed mind is the worst defense against the supernatural. You seem to think you're too civilized to need to protect yourself against evil spirits, but even prehistoric man had a dozen practical methods of warding them off. Some of your theories strike me as prehistoric. Besides, they downgrade property values. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. Ghosts make the papers along with celebrities every day of the week. If it happens to you, you're liable to have that shut door in your mind ripped right off its hinges. Now look, Doc, we're buddies, okay? But don't try to convert me. I'm trying to prepare you. I think there's something going on in this house or I wouldn't be here. What? Don't ask me to give a name to something which hasn't got a name. I don't know. Well, tomorrow we'll see all the place. Now, let's go to bed. Unless anyone wants to clear out now and not have anything more to do with Hill House. Not me. I hope to have plenty to do with it someday, money-wise. We couldn't leave now even if we wanted to. You mean I'm holding you prisoner? I mean Dudley keeps the gates locked. We could always break out. I have a key to the gate anytime you want it. I wouldn't dream of leaving. Mm, Thank you. Adventurers all. But you mustn't expect every night to be Halloween. Psychic phenomena are subject to certain laws. And just what are those laws? Uh, You won't know until you break them. Oh, by the way, at the end of each day, I'm going to ask you to fill out these forms I've mimeographed. Very scientific, aren't we? Well, the scientific, we the the really scientific phase won't start for a while yet. Uh, First of all, we have to get orientated. Hey, what's this? Look like psycho... Kinesis? Nothing like that wrong with me. Psychokinesis is just the technical form for what you'd call objects moving by themselves. Actually, they don't, but are moved by a force from somewhere, which we call psychokinesis. Oh, I see. Oh, uh, about this ghost I can expect in my room tonight. Tell me, is it male or female? (laughs) Well, good night, ladies, Doc. I just thought of something. Nobody's locked the front door. Won't make any difference. 
Oh, I see. Well, good night, Dr. Markway. John, good night, Theo. Get a good rest, Eleanor. Sleep well. I'll turn the lights off below in case you wonder who did it. If you feel in the least bit nervous, just run right into my room then. Thanks. Good night. We are back with the film discussion portion of our show. We have moved on to The Haunting 1963, which was directed by Robert Wise. Uh, let's see. Adapted by... You want me to give you some details about Robert Wise to begin with? What, I, aside from that he directed West Side Story? And and he, he won the Oscar for that. He directed and won an Oscar for Sound of Music. He also was nominated for the Oscar for film editing on Citizen Kane. <laughs> wow. And he also directed Star Trek. That's the first motion picture in audio. Did he really? I didn't realize that. And the Earth Stood Still. Yeah, the 1950s Earth Stood Still. This man had a fucking career. Like, that's where we're starting with. Yeah. You know, shit. Uh, Born in Winchester, Indiana, I saw. Because I I remember one of our guests is from Indiana. I'm from Indiana, a Hoosier born. I Mm -hmm. don't know where Winchester is. I'll have to look that up. He went to college in Indianapolis, though. Well, that means he didn't go to IU, which means that he's not perfect. <laughs> but, you know, but, but of course, you know, no, no one is except for a Hoosier. So, I, you know, I, 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 I have sympathy for him and for his estate. Franklin, <laughs> I think it was Franklin University or Franklin College or something. Like oh, that. Franklin, yeah, yeah. Franklin's actually that's it's a very charming school. Uh, in, in charming in, in central, in it's got central a great Indiana. personality. The the amount amount of it doesn't really like look Indiana. that it's like a monet so I'm, I'm actually i'm looking at winchester on the map right now winchester oh, is uh sort of on the road to columbus actually darren oh okay i'll have to look out uh next time i visit the mother-in-law who still lives in indianapolis oh okay um uh the missus got her undergrad degree at iu oh god now that's a perfect woman right there <laughs> Blessing, blessings upon her <laughs> What else did you have on on our Robert Wise? I just wanted to throw that out there to begin with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're starting with this amazing source material by Shirley Jackson, and you bring a director in like that, like bam, <laughs> right out of the fucking like gate. That's what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a uh, really a host and of pretty good. Go with t- down. I, would, I was gonna say, yeah, go down the cast. Yeah. Uh, do you you want to do it, or you want me to do it? No, I'm sorry. I'm going to let you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we got Julie Harris as Eleanor, Claire Bloom as Theo, Richard Johnson as Dr. John Markway. I can't do his accent. Russ Tamblin as Luke, Faye Compton as Miss Sanderson, Rosalie Crutchley as Mrs. Dudley. Doomed. Who is perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. Lois Maxwell as Grace. Valentine. Money Penny. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I keep thinking of every time I see her. <laughs> Diane Clare as Carrie Fredericks and Ronald Adam as Eldridge Harper. And then there's some uncredited roles I got there, but those, I mean, yeah, this movie is. Yes. And now I have to say right off the bat, it makes no sense to me why they changed the names. Like it's Eleanor Lance here instead of in the book Eleanor Vance. Right. And why, and, then and why Murkow? Dr. 
Dr. John Markway and such Dr. John Montague. I I personally think that John Montague sounds better. I do too. It's more New England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, when we sat down and watched this, I, I, I turned to Michael and I was like, wait, that's not the same name as in the right. book. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do we change? Why? Why? <laughs> so why? silly. I don't understand that because they were so close. I'm like, but you've kept all these other names the same. Yeah. That makes make no sense, sense to me. I love when he is like writing on the chalkboard, though, and it's just Theodora mm-hmm. question mark. Yes. Because nobody knows her last name, apparently. She never gives a last name. She's Theo just Madonna. She's just Theodora. Uh-huh. Of course. I've always wanted. That's where, like when I was a kid. I totally, and I saw this for the first time. And I did the play for the first time. I totally wanted to be Theodora. Yeah. <laughs> like, and oh, she comes in wearing those merry, quaint clothes. Oh, my goodness. I went through a mod phase i went up with Nick <laughs> in high school in college <laughs> and i no, dressed I did, a lot i did notice yeah. like in the opening credits it's oh. like claire bloom's clothes by mary quaint <laughs> yes right it's, it's just oh my god yeah but it's it's so much about her character because in the book though too so much is said about theo and her attire Yes. Yeah, truly. very much so. I mean, I, I I think my favorite outfit is later in the movie where she's just wearing all black and the pendant. Yes, That's like I my love face. it. The beatnik look. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And you know, back back to the cast. I mean, there is some 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 acting royalty in this movie. Absolutely. Uh, Ju- oh yeah, Julie Harris, who plays Eleanor, is um, one of the the queens of American theater. She. She actually held the the record for most Tony Awards until Angela Lansbury overtook that. Really? Yeah, oh. she did. And um, she—that's what I thought. Yeah, she was a devotee of 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 the method. Um, she mm-hmm. went she went to Actors Studio. Um, she knew Marlon Brando. Acted acted across from him multiple times. Um, she was really a a very incredible actress. She was also uh, a Kennedy Center awardee in the same um, evening as Tina Turner and Tony Bennett uh-huh. during the, d- during the, uh, the, the George W administration. So really not that long ago, actually. Um, she's, she's pretty incredible. She's been around. Well, yeah. And she was working right up until she died. Yeah. All of these people were, I mean, Claire Bloom and Russ Tamblin are still alive. And actually, can I just say this right now? Russ Tamblin has a cameo in the new Haunting of Hill House series. No way, <gasps> Shut does he? Up. He plays Dr. Montague. Oh, my God. And, you know, Russ Tamblin, of course, also of and, Peyton Place fame, which I love. I love and, Peyton Place. And Twin Peaks. And, and Twin Peaks, West Side Story. Uh, it's amazing. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which... I hate that play, but <laughs> it's very rapey. But it's a pretty well-known, pretty big musical. Like he had, right, he's sure. had these big, notable film roles. No, I will say, um, with this movie, this falls right into my childhood of like finding um, House on Haunted Hill and yeah, this movie, right, right. and like a lot of the old Vincent Price movies, where I would Vincent just go, Price. where I would go to like Suncoast. Yeah, and buy and buy my twenty dollar VHS tape of Haunted House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, but, you know, I had already so- watched a lot of those old William Castle and Vincent mm-hmm. Price type movies, and then 
by I'd already seen that. And then by the time I was, like I said, 14 and stumbled upon the play, then the book and then the movie, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's completely right up my alley already. You know, if, and if then was... I was and then to see this, which does everything beautifully and perfectly with a budget <laughs> and talent, yeah, like I, not that Vincent Price wasn't talent, but like every like it wasn't schlocky. And exactly. And it's creepy. It is legitimately creepy. And it has influenced so many other filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say, uh, I know we brought this up earlier. No, I said, I I know that we brought this up earlier, but that that, that point in the in the movie where Mm -hmm. you kind of see the door, like almost like breathing. I'm just like, wow, not even the 1999 remake could really get that even right like this doesn't better well that was because the 1999 abomination (laughs) remake they um tell uh, us how you really feel (laughs) it's cgi that their their effect completely meanwhile this one that they did here in 1963 was like layers of laminated wood and a bunch of people pushing on the other side Like, and like changing the movements, like an actual body moving against it and putting this extra, extra bit of effort of practical effects goes a long way, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I I, I agree with you. And I think that the 99 version suffers from artists, too much CGI and artists that don't trust the material. A a primary rule when you're doing theater or film or any sort of art is you gotta just honor what the author has given you, what the right. playwright has given you, what the screenwriter has given you. Take it and you don't mm-hmm. need to fuck it up. It's been written. Shirley Jackson yeah. gave you this gift. There it is. You can unwrap yeah. it now. You don't need to go back in and rewrite the motherfucker. You just don't. I'm sorry, but you don't. No. Period. No, because there, there are changes that were made in the script for film. I mean, they take out the fact of Dr. I'm still going to call him Montague. <laughs> his <laughs> marker way. I'll agree to that. Yeah. <laughs> his wife is now a tangential character and she only, she's the skeptic yeah. and she comes in just briefly to try to say, you need to leave here. She doesn't come in with a planchette. She, her sidekick, Arthur, that whole subplot doesn't come into play because it doesn't need to. I mean, yeah. honestly, this film is perfect if you added tried to cram that in there it would be like what the fuck like it would it would be too long and it doesn't need to be that long well and let's be honest here like the the sidekick of I mean, grace does nothing except for say he's a meat and potatoes guy <laughs> and he's annoying he is annoying i mean honestly he is kind of annoying yeah totally agree. I, I was fine with leaving him out i i but i i was a little um i guess i don't want to say disappointed but I wanted the wife to be bitchy like in the book because it was so entertaining in the book. No, I but I know I agree with that. No, I agree they could have kept her and as the same as in the book where she still wanted to sit there with with the the planchette and everything and she was still kind of bitchy but what's this fucking Arthur character? Yeah. Like, we don't he's totally useless. No, we don't need him. Because Vanessa, she can't possibly drive herself to the house. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, that's like he's basically her chauffeur. And I'm like, wait, is this just like a guy in the neighborhood that you know, or like your friend, or like a gin person? Like, what's happening? No, in, in the movie, some guy has driven Lois Maxwell. <laughs> Great, Miss Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. She's just so iconic in my eyes because that's what I first saw her as. Yeah. It's Miss Money Penny. I'm sorry. Not Talented. Cool. <laughs> she can do more than that. I know. <laughs> anyway, she's obvious. You see that she's being dr- driven out there and dropped off. But then it's like the driver goes away. But right. it's just, okay, Some it could. it's just a cab, essentially. Yeah. Except mm-hmm. it's a fancier car, so it's maybe not a cab. Well, it's very it's very interesting in the movie. They kind of ignore that there's like a town like in in the book. In the book, they go a little bit more into like what the town's about and kind of like don't tell anybody Hill House like they they don't like it. But in Mm -hmm. the movie, it's kind of just like, nope, we're just going to go right to the house. Like there's no side characters that are from the town in the movie. Right, right. I mean, but I don't you have the Dudleys. I think it's okay that they're not i mean i think that going to the town would have probably added a good solid extra 10 minutes to the film and it's already an hour and 50 minutes yeah so (laughs) i mean i i understand why they didn't find that necessary for sure but you have the dudleys who are your at least a connection to town Ah, fair enough yeah fair enough and so you do get a taste even though they are the exception of they will go outside of town they at least are telling you You'll be sorry that you went in there and and they're still serving their same crazy Ralph purpose. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do I love the moment. I do love the moment where she pulls up and she's like, let me in. And he's like, no, you can't come in here. And then she's like, I'm invited. And then he's like, okay. And just unlocks the revs up and was like, get yourself going in anyway. Like she's 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 ready to get in there. No, she's she's gonna run him over. Yeah, for being as meek as she was earlier, now she's all of a sudden like move. <laughs> well, I also I also love too when he like when so after she goes right in the gate in the car, and he comes up on the side to like talk to her some more, and she's like, "Get out of my way!" And I'm like, "He's actually not in your way. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> he's literally just at your window. That's all that he's doing. <laughs> you can drive forward. You won't hit him. It's okay." Yeah, I know, right? Which is a nice Get little uh, transposition because. You know, I'm usually walking around and people are very casual about driving a couple hundred thousand pounds of steel towards your body and her being, you know, get out of my way. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, chill the fuck out, lady. Like, you know, I, I, I get that. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a runner and I run through Chicago very, very often. And uh, we have some real shitty motherfucking drivers here. I can tell you that right now. And there are some people that I literally have slapped my hand against their passenger side window because I don't fucking deal well with you trying to run me over. Yeah. I, I hit a car with an umbrella the other day. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Solidarity. I live in New York. I walk everywhere. It's just, <laughs> you win. I'm just saying. You win, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna you literally happen. only had to say New York. <laughs> <laughs> My drop. <laughs> Although last, usually when you say New York, we hear the sirens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've actually been lucky today, so <laughs> it hasn't been too bad. You haven't gotten the police helicopters. I've had those yeah. during a recording before. Yeah. Well, and we also live in the uh, flight 
the flight plan basically for, to for, o- to O'Hare, O'Hare yeah. so oh. we get all the flights going overhead but thankfully it's it's not that bad and literally the 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 train is in my backyard you'll probably hear like a slow like rumblings at some point but the train is kind of in my backyard too yeah. <laughs> in an area that's underground but slightly above ground in this yeah, it's this weird area so that it's open and you every once in a while can hear it and sometimes you can feel it in my apartment yeah i hear yeah. it if we have the windows I have open have the gla- i have to have the glasses arranged a certain way otherwise you hear clinky clinky clink <laughs> yeah you know we 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 used to record our our podcast at at my house um but my house is full of noises and mostly it's the radiator once once the mm-hmm. the winter months come along and it literally sounds like the fucking Polar Express is coming through my goddamn house. It's insane. Mine's, mine's not too bad, but if you've ever listened to Scream Queens, which I believe both of you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. But um, he always, Patrick always has, you know, his radiator makes extreme noise and he's always, he has his steam heat joke. Yeah. Steam heat. Anywho, we have gone way off the rails. Sorry, about folks. Here we are. We're back. Speaking of houses that make strange noises. Oh, yeah. can, I, can, I t- can I tell you guys one really interesting thing about this film that I really love? Please. Sure. Okay. So there is, and this is, a lot of listeners might not know this, but I'm really into it because I, I'm really into dialects and accents. And this film just happened to be directed and produced during the era when American movies and British movies uh, were using a particular dialect and accent called the Mid-Atlantic dialect. And Mid-Atlantic is is exactly what you think of when you think of an old movie and the way that the actors are speaking. So it sounds slightly British and slightly American, and it's literally a made-up dialect. It is completely uh, completely created. It, it, it is not natural to any part of the world at all. And it's Thank called- you. Yeah, and it's I've always it. wondered about that. I thought it was just me. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it is. It is completely. Uh, it's. It's a falsehood of of dialect, and it's. And the only reason why it was done is because that's the way that people thought it should sound in a proper way. Hmm. And so you you find this in a lot of movies of the era from you know like basically like sixty five and back. I would say, um, nineteen seventy. I think it really started to to go away as as not being. Um, not not being really needed anymore, uh, but but in that era, that's when the filmmakers and and oh. and and also theater <laughs> practitioners really thought it was necessary to have this slightly British sound, where the yeah. R's weren't quite where the 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 roticity of the dialect wasn't completely gone, but just a little bit gone. Um, so yeah, it's it's a weird thing. It's something that I'm I'm into. I kind of geek out about. And when I heard it with this film too, I was like, "Oh, that's just fun to talk about." <laughs> is that so much? That like Catherine so much Hepburn? in life makes is that where her accent comes from. So well, no, Catherine Hepburn is definitely yeah. more, she's definitely more like like East Coast sort of Kennedy esque. Um, yeah. Uh, with 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 Mid Atlantic, you don't find it even spoken like like all these actors right that were in the film. They would have only spoken uh, Mid Atlantic during the filming process. As soon as they're off screen, they don't sound that way. As soon as they're on screen for an interview, boom, they're going to sound that way. As soon as they're on screen for filming, boom, they're going to sound that way. It's sort of like preacher voice and non-preacher voice or podcaster voice, non-podcaster voice. That's exactly what it is. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. That that makes so much sense to me. 
that, that, that adds a new take on so many films for me. Thank you for giving me that bit of information. And I think it's really interesting too with Julie Harris in particular, because you know mm-hmm. she does a great job as Eleanor, right? But right. She also, like she's she's a method actor, and like there are stories of her like during the filming process of her like being in seclusion away from the other yeah. actors. Because she she wanted to like get that full isolation on with her acting, um, and so like she's so method, but also she's doing Mid Atlantic. It was just it was it was interesting right. to, to think about. Well, and I had also read that she was already had been suffering from bouts of depression, oh, and then she that. started doing that to like as she would normally do for a role. And then because of the isolation, it be- it became this whole thing where she then be- did become her depression increased. Wow. And so in- she was actually going through that personally. She like it, it spilt over into her real life. Yeah. Interesting. A little yeah. bit. And then after like she had to shock herself back into reality and go through a bunch of therapy after the movie. <laughs> God, I'm yeah. sure. Jesus. Kind of, yeah. can we just talk about some of the uh, cinematography in this, in this oh movie? Like some of the Th- angles, especially towards the, especially towards the end where you're starting to like devolve into this madness of Eleanor's. There's like some over right. the top shots that just like go over her and around her that I didn't think was possible back in the 1963. Yeah, yeah, totally. The rigging work that they did like on the staircase stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just thinking the crew logistics on this movie are insane. I, I mean, there's just, that's why I think that's what makes it partly so scary too, is those camera angles yeah, and those totally. lighting things. And when you're talking the I mean cinematography, even just these shots, these basic shots of the house, like you know, where there's right, the one image where you're seeing the overview from the exterior and it was shot on infrared film to mm-hmm. create oh, really? this wow. whole ominous right. Yeah, they they were using some of those techniques here and there to make these already ominous house look even more ominous. Well, and I did read that um, the director actually had to sign off on the camera that he used because he had to say that the camera was imperfect and that he was going to use it anyway. Really? Interesting. Wow. I mean, I I guess it, I I guess maybe they were doing some things that were not that were out of the norm. Yeah. And come on, how do you, how do you work rigging? I'm just thinking logistic wise on that spiral staircase in that library. Well, yeah, they used oh. the the railing like a dolly track and mounted the camera on it and just oh. pushed it up the handrail. Interesting. You know, yeah, that's still just the I'm like the liability insurance on this film <laughs> must have been outrageous. And we didn't have to worry about it that I, much back then. Did I you? Loved did it. you? I, well, no, he was pretty. He's he was a better, more ethical director. I've heard. <laughs> Did you know that you can actually stay at the house now? Yeah. Yeah. So it was filmed at Eddington Eddington Park Hotel in uh, in Alderminster in England, and mm-hmm. you can stay there now. It's actually not that expensive, and it looks it looks beautiful, and not quite yeah. as haunted as it does in in, in the film. <laughs> so they sure. probably only used it for exteriors, correct? That they that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was filmed most. It was filmed actually entirely in England. Um, and mostly around Stratford upon Avon, 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty close to like where, you know, Shakespeare was born. Um, so I'm guessing that probably a lot of it was just the exterior shots and yeah. then probably some studio stuff, but that was all in England. I just think that it was really funny when I was thinking, when we were watching the movie, I was like, man, there are a lot of lights in this house. Who pays <laughs> <Right>. the electric <laughs> bill? Well, you know, yeah, they're, qu- they're crazy questions like that. Mrs. And Sanders. what? <laughs> Mrs. Sanderson pays, pays electric bill. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because it's, Obviously, it's like they if miss if the Dudleys are coming there regularly to just even do basic upkeep, they have to have electricity on all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And if it's even they're trying to rent it out or something, <laughs> they have to have the electricity on. Yeah. That's why the ghosts keep shutting the doors. They're trying to save on the heating <laughs> bill. I, I do think it's kind of funny, uh, you know, especially going back to the book when they say that so many people have tried to rent it. And I'm like, who's just like in the market for like a, <laughs> right, a mansion? Exactly. <laughs> like oh, you're well, going on Zillow and you're like, yes, I need a 16 bedroom mansion, preferably haunted. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, okay. I'm, I want to throw this out there. I have I'm six episodes into this new Haunting of Hill House series, mm-hmm. and I I, w- I was going to leave this till a little bit later, but I'm going to this situation brings it up right now. Of I was excited when I heard that they were going to do it, but then I kind of you know I was even more excited when I was like, oh, it's Mike Flanagan. But then I heard it wasn't going to be the book, mm-hmm. you know, so I got disappointed. But I was still like, okay, it's Mike Flanagan. Let let me I'm going to keep an open mind and everything. And the way that they've tied all these things in together, I I've been enjoying that. I'm like, and I'm six episodes in, but the their basic premise is that Hugh Crane has rented or has bought, I think the guess, I guess he bought it. Yeah. Cause they're, they're confirming yeah. it. They bought mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But they bought it on the cheap and that, and brought that his big fa- his family of five kids into this space. Yeah. So, no. I'm right there with you. I was very, um, when I heard, because we had just finished the book. Like, we had literally just finished it. So when I heard that it wasn't going to be the book, I was like, well, I don't know. And then we started, we're we're three episodes in right now. And the ties that they have done to uh, give homages to the original movie and the original book, I think are just kind of genius. Exactly. And to Shirley Jackson in general. I appreciate, like I said, the fact that they have Russ Tamblin playing a character named Dr. Montague, like in one episode. I'm not there yet, Vanessa. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) But it's just like, okay, that's a nice little thing. There's a lot of name references. Yeah, for sure. uh, The staircase. Iconic things. Yeah, and they actually let Theo be a lesbian in it. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> but that's also modern times and what you can do, you know, it's so and I'm happy to see Henry Thomas again. It's been a while. I am too. I am too. So no, yeah, anyway, the, the series is on all cylinders. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. Like, <laughs> but I'm saying, okay, okay. I, sorry. I, I forgot that he actually bought the house. Mm-hmm. It's the, I, but I'm thinking even that a situation of you have a family that large and you need to like rent something like in an area for a summer or want to. Right. Because there's certain families I that you hear of doing things like that. <laughs> look, not like, not any of my friends because we can't afford that. But, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I've rented a cabin for like a weekend. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I right? But, um, but still. We're, we're not it's in that privileged area. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, 
It's a Not large space anyway. to begin with anyway, even if it's a fixer upper. <laughs> yeah. You know, once people start hearing these podcasts we're doing, I'm, I'm using my quotation fingers, you know, we're just going to be rich after that, right? Hey, I'm, I'm, I still have my fingers crossed every day when I wake up. Someone's going to hear it one day. They're going to hear it. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'll say, I want you to come spend the summer in my totally not haunted house. I'm in. <laughs> Tell me where to yeah. go. Send me a yeah. letter. Yeah. What Send do you want me, me to letter. wear? What outfit should I bring? Let me know. Right. <laughs> so you, for everybody, what was your favorite? Like, like thinking about, like, you know, we've read the book, of course. We're, we're, we're looking at the movie. What's your favorite part of the film? Favorite scene? Favorite look? I mean, in general, I like the cinematography and how disjointed it, it, it can make you feel. I think they do a really good job with that. And yeah, the the breathing, swelling door, like like the house is alive. You know, you're you're inside it and you just see it pulsating with that trying to get you. I think they do a lot with, you know, things like you'll see later on in you know texas chainsaw massacre and other movies where they make your mm -hmm. imagination work against you mm -hmm. interesting so yeah, the the door and the and the voices and the sounds i think the whatever that technical term is called the sound effects mm -hmm. yeah yeah the foley the foley there we go foley artists out there you are wonderful people the the sound design in this movie is, is great amazing yeah is amazing i i, I think it's what makes this movie so amazing is the fact that it's simple and it is still effectively scary or creepy because of sound design because of these camera angles because of these actors who can emote on just facial expressions i think that is what makes this movie so, like so powerful and why yeah. it has influenced so many other you know, filmmakers. I'm looking at yeah. you, James Wan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think my favorite part was um, towards the end, the whole staircase part with the uh, spiral staircase, because mm -hmm. I've always wanted a spiral staircase in my life <laughs> and I've never gotten one. <laughs> and I, I, I just love that effect. And I'm so surprised that they were able to do that and that kind of effect in yeah. the 1960s. I, you just when you watch and I don't mean to bring it up again, but when you watch the 1999 version, it's even done schlockier than the 1960s version. And you would think with modern technology, it would be better, but it's just not. And like the way that they crafted that whole scene and the way that you see Grace at the top of the stairs in that yeah. in, in the attic. And you're like, wait, who who was that? Like that whole part was probably like my favorite. That's a yeah. good one. What about you, question asker man? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think there's a lot of great parts in the film. Um, I, you know, for me, it goes back to you know my favorite moments of of the book too, and I, what I think is the most haunting part of the book is you know at the end of the book when she's asking why why isn't anybody stopping me from doing this, and when when Eleanor is wrestling with the steering wheel, and and I think she's saying. She she's saying stop it, but she's also saying why. I think I remember her saying, "Why are you doing this?" If I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm wrong. But as she's you know, and, and like you know, classic early film, like you know, going crazy with the steering wheel. Um, it looks <laughs> ridiculous a little bit now to to our modern eyes. 
but watching her do it and watching her go a little bit crazy as she slams into the tree is pretty shocking. And I imagine to, you know, audiences in 1963, it was probably very shocking to them. And that is, I think, a really stellar part of, of the film. I think it is. Hit the very tree that Mrs. Crane. Crane? Kane. Crane. Yes, yeah. Crane. <laughs> it's Crane and Scary Movie too. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm Fraser Crane. I, I've really tried really hard not to bring up Scary Movie Two, but then you just went there. So, I, I mean, no, I, I, said, I said this movie has influenced other movies. There you go. My favorite part of Scary Movie Two is where she's like, "Check the music room. Check the music." Room. <laughs> and she's like, "Check the fucking music room." <laughs> Sorry, side tangent. My bad. Well, it's really, I th- I feel that Scary Movie 2 is more parroting the 1999 version of yeah, The Haunting totally. and how bad yeah. that is. Because it's not parroting this, you know. No. But it, it's also still a trope that, yes, has been in other horror movies, even between this and the 1999 version of The Haunting. Laura, I even was wondering if William Castle read the book and sort of use that as a springboard for the house on haunted hill partially would not be a surprise i wouldn't be surprised yeah the thing with house on haunted hill though is that there's that whole added aspect of like conniving and like trying to trick people and then the whole dynamic between the husband and wife and her cheating and it, it it's I feel like they probably are influenced by each other on a haunted, like on a haunted house aspect, but like the stories yes. are like way different. Yeah. Yeah. Lance. Lance. <laughs> it's just hysteria. Lance. Sorry. I, <laughs> it's my hysterical 1950s woman. <laughs> yeah. I definitely wore out my VHS tape of house on a haunted hill with Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, such a good Isn't that game. funny that both remakes, The Haunting and House on Haunted Hill, were both in 99? Is that real? Is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's Never true. Right Didn't realize that. Yeah. And I, I will say, actually, and I was talking about this the other day um, when we recorded the latest Devour, that the remake of House on Haunted Hill is actually not that bad. It's not great. You know? I, actually, it's actually I actually really like that movie. I own it's it on DVD. pretty good. As opposed to like this, you're just like, oh my God. And especially look at the, okay, I've got to say it. The 1999 remake is, you've got, again, this fantastic source material, but what the fuck did they do with this script? They did too much CGI Mm -hmm. and the direction, I I don't know, but you have good actors there. That's what pisses me off so much. I mean, it's Liam Neeson, it's Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor. Catherine Zeta-Jones, Luke Wilson even, is a Mm -hmm. pretty good actor. I mean, in that time in his career, yeah. And you have Bruce Dern as Miss Dudley in there. Mm -hmm. And even Virginia Madsen plays um, Eleanor's set sister, like bitchy sister. (laughs) You won't (laughs) let her take the car, whatever. I do love that, where she's like, I own half the car. (laughs) (laughs) That sister, you're just like, I want to fucking punch you. (laughs) Yeah. She has such allegiance to her husband and not her own family, and it drives me absolutely bonkers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's just... She's too much. She's too much. But, yeah, one one last thing on House on Haunted Hill remake. It's mm-hmm. the uh, the only credit that Lisa Loeb oh ever did. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Really? Oh. 
Yeah, she's the uh, news reporter at the beginning. Listen, oh, God, I forgot she was in that. When it comes to Lisa Loeb, I can, anytime that I want to cry, I'm going to put on that fucking original Lisa Loeb album, pop it on. <laughs> I am transported back to my little lonely teenage self. Will I ever fall in love? Like, that is me, like, crying. <laughs> I'm ready for it right away. Also, House on a Haunted Hill, Tay Diggs is in it. And little trivia about Maddie Zaradich. I um, had Tay Diggs's mom as an acting teacher once. Wow. I know, Marsha Perry. She was a little, she was a little crazy. I love her. Um, But yeah, Tay Diggs's mom. She talked about him a lot. Who would have thought? But anyway, The Haunting. (laughs) The Haunting. 1963, The Haunting. Well, I don't know, Vanessa, you said that you wanted to get more into the... uh, Theo's sexuality. Yeah. Okay. So, and maybe this is <laughs> this is part of why it got into my little <laughs> brain and it just took root and why I felt some sort of allegiance to it. And that in the book, we see, like I was saying earlier, you see that they talk about Theo and her apartment that she shares with her friend and the, completely the way that there's so many ways that she refers to this friend and the way that they interact, that it is clear that they are lovers, that this is a this is an, some sort of relationship that's not just a platonic friend. It's not just a roommate. It's it's pretty obvious. She plays the pronoun game that so many of us gays have played sure. it, when yeah. we were in the closet. Whether, you know, <laughs> or whether even it's our friend or roommate or whatever you want to call it. My right, girlfriend who exactly. Lives in Canada. <laughs> exactly. Certain things about that. And so then when you see the movie and you think about when it was made, they couldn't show because it was still under this Hayes code. It was 1963 and the MPAA didn't start until what, 67, 68? Okay. And so when they started rating, I mean, however fucked up that rating system is, they loosened a lot of rules, including in one of those was the way you dealt with homosexuality. And so at the time this, The Haunting came out, you, they, the MPA or the, uh, they were the two women, Theo and um, Nell weren't supposed to touch. They weren't supposed to be in a certain close proximity that might suggest that they were potentially inappropriate with each other or the intentions, like, because there's certain knowing looks that Theo does have towards like, Oh, we'll be like sisters. Mm -hmm. And gives her a little lingering look, but it's a certain length, it's certain length of time before then it's considered lascivious. Yeah. You know, they were timing it out carefully and it ended up, even though they had been advised ahead of time that the women couldn't touch, there are some brief like brushes of the arms and mm. little things like that. And then Theo sits on like Nell's bed or, or something like that, where it's this very this different thing where they weren't they were really kind of pushed a little bit of boundary here. But for me, I guess finding some sort of starting to find some sort of identity when I first saw this and I then second and third whatever time saw this growing up and coming out it just this movie you see so much that even that small bit of visibility is important 
Like, and it's not even, and I was joking earlier about saying, oh, Theo's the predatory lesbian because she's still, they have to make these qualifiers of mm-hmm. Theo, you're the monster of Hill House. Eleanor refers to her as unnatural. And so, okay, if you see a potentially positive image of someone who might be queer, there has to be a negativity thrown back at them at some point. I mean, it was so much what you saw of that era, but they did still kind of push these little envelopes. Well, yeah, this is the, this is the leave it to beaver era where, you know, if you really look at the film, you see that the King bed is made of two twin beds pushed together. Like, yeah, right. So there, there's a, there's a level of sexuality that we weren't ready for yet that this, I think that this does push Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, no, and even like the scene where they're going through the garden with the statues and Luke comes up and touches Theo's shoulder, like her her necklace, and she like smacks him and like snaps at him. Like, get your fucking hands off me. Yeah. Like, and he's like trying to kind of sort of hit on her or he's just trying to be a smart ass. You you know, it's kind of unclear. It could be either. It's still unasked for touching. It's Mm -hmm. unasked for touching regardless, but he's that kind of guy that it could be either. And and he's also from a certain money aspect that maybe he hasn't been told no before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's still alive and well in everything that we see every day now. Yes, it is. Yeah. I went to Yale. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Whatever could you be talking about? I don't know. (laughs) I don't he deserved it, okay? <laughs> uh, but, yes. Um, uh-oh. Is everybody there? Yes. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. We were all quiet at the same time, yeah. and it made me nervous. That's a rare thing for this group. No, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that's that true. What's that's that? true. No, we're, um, there's just a lot here. I mean, it's, Darren, did you have anything you wanted to say about the queer angle? No, I, f- I find it very I mean, how does that play, how does that play to you being someone who is not of that community? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to know what I would have thought if somebody hadn't pointed it out before I had seen the movie the first time I saw it. I don't know if I would have picked it up that there was something between Theo and Nell because I'm I'm from a very affectionate background. Uh, you know, I will always ask if I can hug you, but I will try to hug you if we're friends. I don't hug strangers or anything <laughs> like that. Unless, you know, I'm 15 years younger and I was drunk. Like on my 21st birthday, I gave everyone in the bar a hug. But it's it is interesting to think about and it is sad to think about it the same time that just that affections had to be hidden in films where it's never really been a problem to show violence and that's that's something that i've always had had trouble with that no matter where it is that sex is always scarier than violence and again, with the unwanted touching from, you know, the smarmy rich douche, I don't know if I would have not- thought about Theo not wanting to touch him because she's not attracted to men. I just would have thought about, hey, you didn't ask. You just you're just touching. Well, I see it as both. I mean, personally. Yeah, I see it as both <laughs> to tell you the <laughs> truth, but it's just me. <laughs> see, there's I, a little bit of both in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's. But it is important to have those things. And that's always one of the good things about art is that artists have always taken those risks. But there's a lot of people that nobody that are so secluded from 
any other kind of thing other than their own world that they need need to have it shown or that you know because otherwise they just don't know what the fucking world is like sorry the coffee kicked no no it's what's really interesting about both this book and this movie is that we really never get a true resolution like this is just something that happens this is just one story of hill house amongst many that we're told yeah and we don't know. We, I mean, we get like the little paragraph at the very end of the book that kind of tells us like, you know, so-and-so went on to do this and so-and-so went on to do this. But like, it's never resolved on like why this happened to Nell. Like why, why this time? Like why now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, for me, that really goes back to the metaphor of the house's life, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the last lines of the book are whatever walked there walked alone. And in the movie, it's changed just slightly. And Eleanor says something along the lines of, and we walk there alone. I think that's what she says. And in the end, that is what life is. You know, it sort of reminds you of like the end of Donnie Darko, right? Where, you know, Donnie Darko talks about um, every living creature dies alone. And, you know, I think that this film is, and, and the book, the whole story, is a tale about loneliness. I think it is a tale about mental illness. And I think it is a tale about life in general and being haunted and trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do with this thing called life that literally makes no sense. And, and we have these characters that are thrust into it, trying to figure it out. And at the end of it, just like you said, there's no resolution because with life, there's no resolution. You live, you have some things happen, and then you die. There's no explanation for it. It's just who we are and it's what it is. And in a lot of ways, that is something that is probably the most terrifying thing about being ourselves is that it doesn't make any sense. And what, what do you do with that? What do you do with your existence knowing that it really doesn't make sense, but you're going to try as hard as you fucking can to make it to make it make sense in some way for you? That's a terrifying prospect for every living being, I think. I'm glad I said my thing before you said your thing. (laughs) (laughs) At least somebody around here sounds like they have their shit together today. And and with that, have a great day. (laughs) Now I want you to go back and and think about your existence. Have a great day. No, go hug your children and have a a great evening. Uh, Mm. Of course, leave it to Maddie to have the the most depressing thing to say. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I didn't find it depressing. I found it insightful. No, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true because it's the it's part of the story of and legend of Hill House is the fact that there is this evil, this presence that has been there. They know when it began, but it was there from the beginning and it's continuing on. When will it ever end? Will there be an end? house and burned and the ground be salted exactly it's right will there be an end will there be Mm. an end it's like are some houses born bad Mm. it's just um i don't know if you guys know this but um originally uh, stephen king wanted to do this a remake of the 1999 remake really yeah with steven spielberg and they didn't end up having it happen (laughs) and instead We got Rose Red, which I don't know if you've seen Rose Red, the TV miniseries. No. But that's like what we got instead. That was Stephen King's version of The Haunting of Hill House. Well, and Stephen King marks this as as his like favorite novel. Yeah, he does. I don't know if I would encourage the listeners to watch Rose Red or not. (laughs) 
It's a product of its time. <laughs> like so many Stephen King things. Exactly. I mean, if you liked um, it, the TV version, you might like Rose Red. It's got a lot of the same. It's got a lot of the same type of things, except without Tim Curry, unfortunately. Oh, sweet Tim Curry. Never die, please. Yeah, I know, right? Now that's depressing. <clears throat> okay, on that note, do... We have anything else to say about the movie. Oh, who had said that it was their first time watching this movie? This was I'm my sorry. first time, Maddie. Yeah, th- this is okay. my first time watching it. Wow. So what was your, uh, you knew of, of it beforehand, mm-hmm. but uh, what was your excuse for not watching it sooner? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm kidding. honestly, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, lis- listeners of our of our podcast know that when it comes to being an expert on horror films, they don't look to Maddie, they look to Andrew. And so there, you know, he has a breadth of, of knowledge and a depth of knowledge in in horror films that I just simply will never have, um, but that I, I I deeply admire. You know, for me, you know, I I, I love horror movies. Uh, I I love a good, uh, usually a good paranormal movie, a good psychological movie. I I like things about like demons and possession. That's usually what what gets me the most scared. So it, it is actually interesting to me that I hadn't seen The Haunting. Um, the the 1963 version, I, and I really don't know why. And you know, like I had said earlier, I have seen the 1999 version, and I, I think I might even like own it on DVD. It's it's possible I, I bought it when I was like having friends over to to watch a movie or something. Right. Um, so I've seen it multiple times, and I just I guess never really gave it a lot of thought to go back and watch the original. But I'm like I've said before, I'm really glad that I did. I think it's it's it is well worth the watch. And if you're listening to this right now and you haven't seen the 1963 version, I think you should watch it because there's a lot there, and it's a lot there that does way better than the 99 version, of course. And I think it honors what Shirley Jackson wanted, and I think that that's an important reason to watch it. Yeah, and it's very interesting because it it is it it does fall on the longer side. It's like an hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, it doesn't feel that way though. It goes pretty no. quick. Yeah, you're right. No. Absolutely. It it really does clip along. No, which is why I said they don't they didn't need to have anything if they had added that side thing with that extra character Arthur character mm-hmm. from the book, that would have added extra time. Or if they had added mo- yeah. a little bit more about the people in town, that would have added extra time. You don't need that. This was long enough as is, but it doesn't feel too long. And if but if you had put anything else in there, it would have felt too long. Definitely. Yeah. It feels yeah. appropriate. You know what I mean? For the source material. Right. Because you still get a good sense of the characters. And yeah, I mean, you know, you want to know more about them, just like you do when you read the book. Mm -hmm. But you don't feel like you don't know them. They're still three dimensional. Yeah. Yeah. And they take the time to build the tension, but not too much time where everybody but the people that like, quote unquote, slow burns are disappointed. You know what? And fuck those people. Because there's a lot of fucking really good slow burn movies. Agreed. Speaking of the Vivitch. Which I can't yeah, remember exactly. if we did that on mic or off mic. Well, and also, like, speaking of slow burn, I, my personal favorite, The Exorcist, um, and right. let's face it, like, one of the most classic horror films of all time is a complete movie. slow burn for a very long time until shit really gets moving. Like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to trust what you're watching. Like, let the person that is making this piece uh-huh. of art for you, let them build the fire and then come around it and get really warm, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's worth that way. Totally. In yeah. most cases, to be honest with you. <laughs> right. 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 So 
Okay. Um, I, I think it sounds like we would all recommend this movie and we would all recommend the book. Without a doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, I think I'm getting that feeling. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. I would definitely recommend reading the book first. Yeah. Agreed. Um, mm-hmm. Just to get like the context of what Shirley Jackson was ultimately trying to say. But then also watch this movie because it's really good. And don't bother with 1999. Yeah. Don't <laughs> don't spend your money on that rental, please. <laughs> I will continue to not. I was going to ask if everybody still suggested I not watch it. Don't. Just I mean, if you want to see. Free, if it's free, maybe. If okay. you want to see stone figures of children come alive and reach for people for 90 minutes, then. <laughs> CGI stone statues. It's on uh, uh, Showtime right now. Uh, that's actually one of the things I do not have a subscription to. Okay. Oh, you don't watch Shameless? I love Shameless. <laughs> <laughs> I had Showtime until I was finished with the new Twin Peaks, and then mm. I, had, I had to make some decisions. Speaking of Russ Tamblin, yeah, exactly. <laughs> another another uh, place that he sh- he's popped up. Yeah, I, I love that. But I don't think you guys got to say where on social media people can find and interact with Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, sure. So Friday the Thirteenth Horror Podcast. You can find us on all social media channels. On uh, Facebook, of course, just search for Fry Gay the 13th. Be sure to put in the G instead of the D because it often comes up as Friday the 13th. You'll get up. Yeah, you get it. On Instagram, we are Friday 13. On Twitter, we are Friday 13. Um, so please follow us there. Interact with us. We love chatting with people. Um, it's a lot of fun. So come along on our crazy journey. Yeah, and we really do try like really hard to interact with anybody that interacts with us. Big like it, it, it's sometimes a little bit of a challenge just because the um I don't know, the 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 tidal wave that is social media sometimes can overtake us, but we really do try to like interact with our with our people that want to listen to us exactly. cuz we really do care a lot and the people that have reached out to us were just you know honestly like i i hate to sound like target art but like we're hashtag blessed like you know yeah, like, big time it, it's 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 been we've been welcomed more than i ever thought we would to be honest nice it's a good nice and um anywhere uh that you're special that you're popping up soon i mean any uh you want to tell us about your any upcoming episodes of your regular well, spot or more yeah, sure so so stay tuned uh later in october for our halloween episode which I think we talked about earlier. I'm sorry. Oh, well, and also we're talking about, sorry, we're looking sorry, at each other. Going, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, well, again, ready? So yeah, we, we actually, so October is, you know, it's October right now. We're, we're talking with you guys, which is fantastic. And we're guest spotting on VD clinic. Of course, we have guest spotted on a few other um, podcasts as well this month. Uh, we just also did a, a horror hookup interview with an author in Chicago named David J. Collins, who is the author of a new horror novel called Summerdale, which takes place in Chicago in Andersonville, very close to where Andrew and I both live. Um, so that's coming out later, um, later actually next week. And then we have our regular episode coming very soon, which is going to be our special Halloween episode. It's also our 10th episode where we're talking about Bloodfest and and Hellfest, and we're also going to have a very fun little chat about Hocus Pocus. So we've had a lot of content come out. We're we're super excited about it. Uh, if you haven't followed us already on on Apple Podcasts, please make it a, make it a point to do that. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud. We're also on Google Play, and we're also finally on Spotify. So uh, please click follow if you want to on each of those. 
and uh, listen up because we've got a lot of great content for you right now. Cool. Darren, do you have anything you want to share about Psycho Semanticast or beyond? Well, let's see. (laughs) (laughs) Or just share in general. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know how to find the VD Clinic podcast and the over on Psycho Semantic coming out either soon upon release of this episode or very recently upon release of this episode, depending on when it comes out this month. Um, There will be a episode on Snowpiercer. Uh, We recorded that before the UN put out their gigantic report on if we don't change shit, we're all going to die in 20 years thing. But, you know, and then I don't want to say too much, but as we do politics and movies and political movies over there and court psyops and i are, are working on a little bit of a crossover episode that will be coming out the week before the midterm elections awesome fun and, yes. interesting we're, we're gonna yeah <laughs> i'm reading a book called dark money for that uh, mm. and there will be other things that's that's just part of my research it's not the focal point of the of the episode but i just want to leave it at that in case we change things up and whatnot you know how things are sure. how cryptic of you <laughs> <laughs> it's a very depressing book um all about oh good yeah. we'll be happy to listen in that case i'll be right there but the yeah. movie the movie is an entertaining movie it's it's just i'm looking i'm getting some some facts that i can throw out and be the oh well you know the Koch brothers started this thing and that thing and this thing and that worked with the CIA blah 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 coffee kicked in I better shut the fuck up (laughs) well before we before we say goodbye I I do want to just take a minute to just say thank you so much to you two for everything you've done for us and invited us to do and we we just really appreciate it and we kind of consider you guys some of our little like podcaster like best friends so yeah and and, you know thank you for the support that you've given us because let's let's face it we're still fairly new to this we're less than a year and you guys have been very supportive of us throughout this entire process and that has really meant a lot to us so thank you very much you guys mean a lot to us i think i can say for speaking for my unwoman uh partner (laughs) over here (laughs) that's what that's my carryover from a handmaid's tale i'm an unwoman Yet I'm his other wife. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's I'm his work wife. My work we determined that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time and doing both the work. Some people take that that exit yeah. door of not having to read the material. And I don't Which is fine. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Which is but. totally fine. But no, I'm so glad you you jo- you joined us to read the book because and I'm glad that I could introduce you guys to this book. Mhm. You know, because you you both enjoyed it. So yeah. That means a lot to me. It would have been a I different could, story if we didn't like it, Vanessa. Right? It would have been. <laughs> then I would feel so bad. I'm sorry. I would. I'd be. I'd be apologizing like crazy. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunch. <laughs> yeah. But well, I guess uh, coming up next month on the VD Clinic. Uh, have we said this yet? We usually do that at the end of our proper yeah. episode, right? Yes. We are doing the movie Shakes the Clown paired with Vanessa. Um, What is this? Smile Under the Ladder, I think is what it's called. It's a Henry uh, Miller novel. Yeah, the Smile at the Foot of the Ladder, right? I Smile Under, yeah, at the Foot of the Ladder. And, and we will have a... An interview that episode with a special guest, but fun, awesome, 
to be revealed later, but our theme we're going with is clowns. So, well, that sounds terrifying already. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be a joyous occasion. Well, except I forget, it's been a long time since I've read that Henry Miller novel. That might be a sad clown. <laughs> <laughs> but the movie's funny. But the movie, well, it's kind of dark. It's darkly funny. Yeah, it's darkly yeah. funny. Mal, yeah. if you got through death to Smoochie, then I think you can get through anything. <laughs> well, yeah, it just said Tommy. <laughs> but um, well, I wanted to say before. I, well, I was going to say before we fall off the rails, <laughs> and before we go, I did want to say I have a plug of my own. I guessed it on Scream Queens, and for an episode of the Podathon over there, and I covered. The Witch, and with Patrick, and is part of fundraiser for New Alternatives, which I think ends maybe at the end of October, might carry into early November. I forget that offhand, but that episode was or should be released on October the 14th. So anyway, that's another thing I have going on, but I wanted to point it out because it's also a fundraiser. And even if you have, by the time you're listening to this episode, missed the fundraiser deadline, still please uh, donate to New Alternatives. It's an organization as, for LGBTQ homeless youth here in New York. And City. as Patrick would say, donate $21 for 21 episodes that he's yes. doing this month. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's putting out an episode a day. He started on uh, the 11th. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, we, will be, we will actually be on the 30th. We will be on with Patrick as well. So we're really into that um, that charity and what he's doing is amazing and we're yeah. ready for it. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. super important to us, of course. Yeah. So I wanted to mention that. So that's the only other thing I have going on right now, other than my usual Devour the Podcast. We had our an episode, our September episode be delayed till October because of um, just some different uh, family issues. And then, so our original Halloween episode, um, will that's a monstrosity of books that I'm reading, has been delayed till November. So, yay, I have more time to read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still have eight to go. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, anyway. So that's and we're all on Legion Podcast. I wanted to point that out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Something Our fearless leader. Yep. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of us. But yeah, Darren, I'm gonna throw it back to you and let you take us out. <laughs> so yeah, uh thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. It doesn't have to be October to get a little spooky and spooky. Boo. <laughs> Until <laughs> next time, uh, say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Death things causes a shiver and earthquakes. Out of the tombs come sexy zombies, dead corpses are waxed. The restless, headless horseman is looking for his path. A guana smelling witch is eating coffins with a bat. Upstairs, the Frenchy she devils tempts with wild mats, and you know, I recommend it for a torment, demented bondage. I'll go.